Hi, good evening, everybody, and welcome to our virtual 6 on Palmo webinars. Uh, later on today, it's very exciting at 8 p.m., we will have uh, Peter Franus, who's the winemaker of Peter Franus Wines. Um, also used to work actually for uh, Mount Vider until uh, 1987. He will guide us through the great wines of the estate from Napa Valley, California. But for now, we are extremely happy to have back uh, the Burgundy expert, Master of Wine, Jasper Moritz, who will talk about the most dynamic white wine appellation in Burgundy at the moment, which is uh, Puifuse. So please do chat away on the sites and share with us what you're drinking and where you're drinking it from. Hopefully you do have those little kits ready in front of you. Um, and if you do happen to take any pictures of uh, the tasting kits or whatever you're drinking from Burgundy, do not forget to add hashtag system from home. As usual, we will have some time at the end to ask as many questions and as technical questions to just bear as many you want. Um, you can geek out completely on Puifuse <laughs> because I know that Jasper is very much ready for every question. So uh, yeah, now on to uh, Jasper. Hi. Hi, Sophie. Uh, thank you for uh, being Ronan tonight. Uh, <laughs> we're not sure we'll let him back afterwards. Uh, <laughs> hi, everybody. Uh, thanks for coming along tonight. And do keep the information running on the on the chat. And uh, we're going to spend the next hour or hour and a bit talking about Puifuise, which is an appellation that uh, I've come to enjoy more than more uh, in recent years. No real um, accident about uh, our subject matter, these various webinars that I'm doing, because basically I choose the things which interest me, because it's much easier to speak about what you like than uh, talk about something which is uh, worthy but dull. And Puifuise offers a huge range of different experiences and it's about to go through the dramatic process of getting its premier crew vineyards, so we'll certainly be talking about that. Um, we have one uh, possibly ambitious uh, change which I'm going to try and do tonight uh, and that is that I'm going to attempt to share the screen myself and put my own maps up. So. Let's have a little look. Uh, I hope now that you can see the map of Puifuise. It's a little bit odd, um, this map, because we were trying to get as much information in as we could to fit a double-page spread in my book, and it's come out slightly oddly uh, uh, as a result. But uh, bear with me, and we will work our way uh, through it and do everything as well as we can. So first of all, I'm going to draw a line around here, which goes outside the Appalachian. And I would, in fact, have made this perhaps all one Appalachian. If you look over uh, on the right hand side, but you can't see anything, uh, that would be pre-Vanzel. And beyond it, uh, even off the map, would be pre-Lochet. Lochet has some slope, not so much. Vanzel's got a wonderful slope, which is almost exactly the same as the east-facing slope of Chantre. Um, and Chantre is the first of the villages that make up Puy-Fuise that uh, we're going to look at tonight. So uh, you've got the steep east-facing slope uh, on a clear day, Mont Blanc is, is gazing at you across the way, and uh, um, it replicates in some sense the same east-facing escarpment that you get in the Côte d'Or. So, as you come out of Vanzel, you move into Chantre, and it all seems very similar. Um, so in fact, uh, uh, looking at this, where do we begin? Here is Chantre. Um, 
we are going to be um, identifying some of the premier cruise sites. And then I'm going to have to change it. I've just realized the map is of a slight, is not as I thought. Apologies, I have drawn this incorrectly because what I should have drawn, of course, looks like that. Um, so it's still east facing off to the right, but here we can see Lachey and Vinzel and then the continuation, continuation of the slope into Chantre. And the bit that's in a different color is Macon Chantre rather than Puy-Fuisse. So here in Chantre is our first bit. So the east facing is around about, is this bit here. That's the east facing slope. And then it moves around the corner and becomes south facing. Let me clear that off. Uh, so if we just look at Chantre, it's east and south. And, uh, and then it, um, it actually becomes slightly west facing around here. Makes a nice little U shape. And the best vineyards are either the ones on the eastern edge, and in particular, uh, we have Ocar. So I'll, put, I'll switch versions, we'll put my star in there. That's gonna be a premier crew. I uh, hope you can see that. It's come out as gold rather than red. Also, Premier Cru is going to be Les Chevrières here, and that's going to include the next door vineyards, uh, Les Robes, for example, and Les Mures, I think, as well. And another one that's going to be Premier Cru is Le Clos de Monsieur Noli, which is a little bit south and a little bit west facing. Um, and Domaine Vallette makes an extraordinary wine from Le Clos de Monsieur Noli, which, when I first started buying it, they aged in new barrels for 24 months. And then they moved to 36 months and then 42 months and then 54 months and now it's 72 months i think in barrel before it's uh, bottled and released and uh, that i think uh, i don't know whether it's all 72 months without wrecking but that's the way they started however that's an unusual wine and the classics are probably going to be um the clodet car here and then uh chevrier chevrier has got quite a light topsoil and makes a really fairly elegant style of Puy-Fuisse. Um, and that's true, perhaps, of Clos de Car as well, but with, a, I would think, a little bit more depth. It certainly enjoys its eastern exposure. Plus, the majority of the vines here are over 100 years old now. Um, most of the holding of the Chateau de Car is, uh, was planted in 1917. So in 2017, they did a centenary cuvee, uh, only a magnum, but the one we're having tonight is, is the regular, which includes still quite a bit of the 2017 vines, plus a few vines which are uh, more recent. So uh, this is a, a new property. Um, what happened was that uh, Olivier Merlin was buying the grapes uh, from the grower who uh, managed the property before. He didn't own it, he managed it. And he heard A, that this chap was retiring, and B, that the property was up for sale. He thought it was a little bit too big of a mouthful for himself. But uh, with his friend Dominique Lafont, uh, better known for his Masso, jointly um, they bought the Chateau des Cars. It's a, it's a ruined, uh, probably early 19th century chateau, which I haven't quite decided what to do with yet. Uh, but the vineyard's in fantastic condition um, on the slope, facing east, as I say, um, with just enough uh, topsoil on top of the classic limestone beneath. And their first vintage was 2012. 
And though I'm sure Dominique has his say in how it's made, it's actually Olivier who makes it at his winery in uh, La Roche Vineurs. Um, so what, that's probably 10, 15 minutes away in the car, a bit longer by tractor. Um, and he manages the vineyard and uh, makes the wine as well. Obviously, as I say, with, with Dominique looking on. So uh, I don't know how many of you are, um, have got, uh, I'm going to stop the sharing for a minute. I don't know how many of you have, have got the wines, but I hope several of you do. I'm going to pour mine out. Talking about 2017, which as you know, is a really lovely vintage for white burgundy in general. There were a few, if any, problems, uh, maybe a tiny bit of, of frost, but very little. Um, however, what is true is that um, in the Maconnais, uh, they avoided the horrors of 2016. They made really nice wines, perhaps a tiny bit lower in acidity, a tiny bit softer than you might expect in the Cote d'Or, but it's a broadly similar profile. So, uh, yeah. Just to mention, those of you who are chatting away, um, do make sure that you address it to all panelists and attendees rather than just all panelists because then the attendees won't see it. So uh, make a note of that, particularly David, thank you. Right, so, I pour it into my glass. Um, this has a small percentage of new oak, uh, but it is barrel fermented and barrel aged for up to, uh, nearly 18 months in fact. Um, where there were younger barrels, they will get racked out into older barrels after the first year. But um, Olivier's got a lovely underground cellar uh, made with stones from the um, dismounted, uh, dismantled, I should say, chateau of the village he lives in, uh, which was quite revolutionary in the 1790s. And they changed the name from Saint Solan because they didn't prove religion during the revolution and called it La Roche Vineurs, and they destroyed the chateau. And somebody, subsequently, somebody then uh, built uh, a, a large winery building, which had been uh, disused for quite a while until Olivier bought it. So first wine, Claude Car. Um, if you check on the chat, you will see, Sophie has put up the list. Um, they're not quite in the right order on that list, Sophie, unfortunately because you've got Eric Forrest both at the top and again at the bottom. So uh, if we scrap Eric Forrest from the top of the list and it goes down, it's Tredicar, then the Chateau de Ronte, and then the rest are in the right order. Apologies for that. So looking at the color, uh, we're in a sunshine area. We are um, just over, just about a hundred kilometers south of Bone here. Um, I had to find that out in the early days of the uh, confinement, as they called the lockdown here. Um, well, once it began to be relaxed, you were told you could travel for up to 100 kilometers, but no further. So I got out my, um, my compass and protractor and I discovered that Chablis was 102 kilometers away, but Puy Frise was 98 kilometers away. So I could, I could travel there. Um, anyway, it is quite a bit further south. It definitely has more of a southern feel. It's got those sort of south of France tiles on a lot of the buildings. Uh, and you do expect uh, a sunnier attribute to, to the wines. And we can see it in, uh, in a little bit more color uh, in this wine. That also comes with the barrel aging. But it's a clean and fresh color, as indeed is the bouquet. Because what I wanted, if we say, 
is I want a depth of flavor, surely, but I also want um, a freshness and the overused word minerality, depending on the village. We'll look at the various different villages. So we've got Chantre we're in at the moment. Then we have Fuisse. Then we have Puy Solitre, which in fact is a, a joint village. And then we have Vergisson. And they're all gonna bring us different things. So Chantre is probably elegance with sunshine are what we're particularly looking for. Medium body to medium body plus, just the right balancing acidity here. It's not an overly deep, rich and sunny wine. I don't have the degrees with me, but I doubt this is not tasting to me as though it's much above 13. It could be a 13.2, that sort of thing. Um, and I love that little tingling uh, freshness. Uh, I will use the mineral word, uh, which it's finishing um, for me. And um, good old UPS, they got me the samples here overnight on a day that wasn't too hot. So I've got nice fresh samples. Hope to come back to that later. If I'm done with it. Incidentally, uh, latest news on Burgundy weather and harvest. Um, it was cold at the beginning of this week, um, got down to single figures overnight and 20-ish in the day. And then each day has gone up uh, warmer and warmer. Uh, so today, at least in Bone, we would have been into the low to mid 30s. In the next couple of days, it could get up to 36, 37, the same way it was on Friday last week. And on Friday last week, uh, that heat suddenly turned into a storm and there was uh, a big storm in Nuit Saint-Georges, lots of rain and some hail, but it doesn't sound as though the damage is going to be terribly significant. Maybe a couple of people would have lost a lot. Otherwise, the damage would be quite localized and maybe 15, 20% is typically what I'm hearing. So <clears throat> uh, now we've gone back to, I mean, there hasn't been a cloud in the sky today. It's set that way for the next few days. And uh, goodness knows when we're next gonna have any rain. But really, we need quite a bit of rain, ideally, between now and the harvest. And they're going to start the sparkling wine harvest as early as this time next week, the 13th. And they may start the, uh, the proper harvest from as early as the 20th of August. Uh, we shall see. Right. So uh, back we go then to um, our friendly Puy Frise. Let's get that map up again. Here we are. So we've done uh, Chantre, so we've done the east-facing wall. Uh, we're going to ignore those two salmon pink um, uh, villages, Shan and Lane, because they are almost the start of uh, the granite territory, not quite, but those are um, Saint-Veron rather than Puy-Fuisse. And then we're going to sort of move uh, clockwise, if you like, into Fuisse. And Fuisse also has its uh, U-shape, um, the same way that uh, I was talking about for, um, for Chantre. And I'm going to draw my U-shape, and it's like this. Right, so if you imagine the, the, the top of the U is relatively flat land, 
there's one vineyard that we're going to look at, Verkrat, which is slightly different. Um, otherwise, your hillsides are where I have drawn the U. Uh, the least interesting is uh, the right-hand side of the U looking at the screen, um, about where my, my mouse should be, if you can see it. Um, because oddly enough, uh, the limestone gets mixed in. There's a lot of schist there. Uh, and though it still managed to cling on to being uh, Prefice, it certainly won't be Premier Crew, and it doesn't make especially interesting ones. If you see me making strange gesticulations, it's because a wasp is trying to join in the tasting. Lots of wasps, and they go away. A lot of them about this year. Um, otherwise, you've got up down at the bottom of the U, in the well of the U, you're really quite high up. Um, you're getting on towards um, the 400 meters mark, which is where they've decided Puy-Fuises uh, should not be allowed. That wasp has now definitively put itself inside my glass. It's been washed out. Um, so this isn't going to be, um, and we have Les Rontes. We're going to have the Chateau des Rontes. Uh, and that faces due north on a steepish slope. Very interesting vineyard, but comes out in a second. But uh, the premier, most of the premier crews are going to be, again, on this east-facing part, uh, around about, uh, I'll draw that slightly differently so we don't get into a muddle. Uh, this won't be exact, but, but most of them are sort of in that box there. Uh, we're not a fact, um, so we're going to look at um, uh, two and a bit uh, vineyards. Um, from uh, Fuisse, which are, we're going to look at Les Rontes on the top of the slope here. We're going to look at uh, Minetrière, which is down in here. Um, and then uh, the, the really classical part um, from one of the great producers. And then we're going to look at Verkrat, which in fact, I've just circled that bit, but it continues across the boundary into Solitre Puy. So I'm afraid later on, we're going to have to jump over to this map here, but we were at that point uh, we will see the other half of Verkrat here. So imagine, if you will, that, that, that they are contiguous. Okay, that sets the scene. We can come back to that map uh, 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 a little bit later. I shall give you the extraordinary pleasure of seeing me on full screen instead, while we take a look at the Chateau de Ronte. Noises off as I open up the sample and pour it. So the chateau itself looks out down into the rest of Fuisse from the top of the hill, got absolutely trashed by the first um, hailstorm in 2016, unfortunately. And the other bit of bad news for them is that they haven't been selected to have any um, uh, premier cruise, which is uh, a cause of um, considerable concern, possibly even grievance for the, the owners. It's uh, a lady called Claire Gazzo and her husband, Fabio uh, Montrasi, who, who actually makes the wine. Fabio is Italian. Uh, Claire's um, family have owned uh, this property for a long time. And the Clos Varonmont is the name given to uh, the part right in front of the chateau um, by Claire's grandfather. Uh, quite a while back. Um, so, 
Uh, they've been there a while. They also have a little bit of saint amour Beaujolais too, but otherwise they just make Puy Frisay from off the property. Uh, there are three um, separate cuvées. There's a little bit round the side on a different soil, which is called the Pierre Folle, the crazy, crazy stones. There is Les Berbettes, B-I-R-B-E-T-T-E-S, and then there is the Clauvin-Amour. So even though it's north facing, it actually gets the sun in the morning from the east and it keeps it in the evening from the west. So it does get very good um, sunshine. It's a particularly hard limestone subsoil and it's only a very light covering of a ready brown topsoil. And you can fit, you can actually smell the rock in this. This is not one of the really rich puifuises. Um, and probably in most people's image, um, most people's minds, say is one of the, uh, the richer, fuller-bodied uh, white burgundies. It doesn't always have to be. Uh, I don't think the Chateau de Carl was, and I don't think the Chateau de Ronte is, and we'll have at least another wine which isn't, and we'll have several which are in the richer, more powerful style. I'm really liking that. It's expression that I often use for the style of wine is fine burned. It's going to contrast very much with, uh, with the next wine. There is one link with the next wine because uh, Fabio is an Italian family and so is the winemaker for the next wine. But um, those of you who are tasting wines, I'm sure you'll keep your opinions going um, on the chat. We move on from the Yorkshire conversations. Um, uh, it'd be good to know how you're enjoying the wines and what you're perceiving of them. Um, Hannah has actually said she often confuses Puy with Merceau, tasting blind. And are there any tips uh, on key differences? Um, it's true, I think, that the more classical style of Merceau, uh, the Merceaus, which the sommeliers used to describe as being butter and hazelnuts, uh, is not too dissimilar. Um, the colours might be a little bit deep, deeper in a young wine from Puyfuise than they would be from uh, Merceau. Um, this balance between weight and minerality. Uh, we'll talk about it a bit more maybe when we, when we look at the next wine, uh, Hannah. I'll try to remember to do that. Um, because this um, Chateau de Ronte, Clauvin-Amour, I absolutely adore the wine, but it's a less typical Puyfuise, even though we have to build into our thinking about, if we say, the fact that there are many different terroirs, all of which count. Grand. <clears throat> so let's then look at the, at the more, um, most classical style, I would say, of Puy-Fuisse. And it comes from one of the three great domains, um, which are, are based in Fuisse. Uh, and they're all actually um, uh, connected, the same family. There's a family called Bulan, B-U-L-A-N-D. And by coincidence, we're gonna have a wine from a vineyard called En Bulan later on and probably that is connected with the family. Uh, but they own vineyards from Vergisson through Solitre into Puy and Fuisse. 
um, not in Chantres as far as I know. And though there's no Budon family under that name anymore, the three families which did come out of the Budons are um, the Vincents of um, Chateau de Fuisse, uh, the Ferrets of Domaine uh, J.A. Ferret, Ferret, and uh, indeed the, um, the Bourriers of uh, the Chateau de Beauregard. So we're not going to have the Fuisse from Chateau de Fuisse today because I decided I would go with the wines made by Ferret. Now, Ferret has passed down in the female line for quite a while now. There was a fabulous person called Madame Ferret, the elder. And uh, she used to uh, work in the vineyards uh, at night. Um, uh, not in the vineyards at night, what am I talking about? Sorry, she used to work in the cellar at night. So you might have a rendezvous with her and you'd go along and you'd order up your wines. She'd say, fine, come back tomorrow. Uh, there's, there's nothing labelled up. And then she'd take your order. And during the evening, she had a little camp bed down in the cellar. And during the evening, she'd be working away by torchlight or candlelight and would prepare your order for you and maybe have a kip on the camp bed and then have it ready for you when you came by the following day. Uh, I actually never, never enjoyed that particular encounter, but I've um, heard, heard about it from those who did. Anyway, Madame Ferre Senior uh, handed over to Madame Ferre Junior, my daughter, who also continued to an advanced age. Um, but when eventually uh, she died, there was nobody to take it on. The property was sold. It was bought by Jadot, and um, they installed a, uh, uh, another lady who's called Audrey, Audrey. And now, whether she pronounces her Italian surname Braccini or in the French version Bracini, uh, I'm not quite sure. I must ask next time I visit. But she's an extremely talented winemaker. They have great vineyards, which were run pretty well before she took over. Uh, and for me, this is one of the absolute top domains of Puy-Puisse. I don't particularly want to put a, a ranking of the very top names because there are several people doing a brilliant job and in different styles. Um, we're going to have uh, at least three of them tonight uh, and, and other contenders as well. Um, but so uh, this is the wine from um, Madame Ferré. Go back to uh, sharing the screen. Uh, so let's find her vineyard again. I've just got to find the uh, Menetrière, which uh, the problem is they keep changing the names. Yes, it's around it. So in fact, it's going to become a slightly bigger uh, Premier Cru. Uh, sorry, I've forgotten to press the annotate button. So Menetrière is just here, but it's going to include Les Isars and probably a bit of Les Prales as well when the Premier Cruise happened. Uh, news on that is that this uh, project has been going for more than 10 years now, 12 years, I would say, overseen first of all by Frédéric Bourrier of Chateau de Beauregard, who's one we're going to have next. And more recently, it is Audrey uh, from the main Ferret who's, who's taking it on. Uh, and it has been so complicated. Uh, in the end, they, I think 193 hectares, which is 20 odd percent, of the vineyard area of Puy-Fuisse has been taken on board and will become a uh, premier crew. And they put in place certain conditions. They said uh, the vineyards had to be below 400 meters, uh, and that's problematic for one or two people. Has to be on Jurassic, classic Jurassic uh, limestone. Uh, you had to be able to show that your um, 
named vineyard was being bottled and made as a separate cuvee and uh, selling for a higher price uh, historically. Uh, and then they decided, okay, rather, a lot of the vineyards are very fragmented. So what they did was they added on bits next door, which they felt were very similar in style and quality. Um, and then at the end of the day, when they'd done all this, all the growers came back to them and said, no, 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 uh, you've left this out, you've left that out, we want this, we want that. And there were uh, another 193 different claims to have bits added, of which 30 odd were accepted. Anyway, now that's all done and dusted. Um, it won't be signed before the end of this year or possibly now next year, but my understanding, not confirmed, my understanding is it will apply retrospectively to 2020. And they're gonna have inspectors out in the vineyards for this harvest because one of the conditions, uh, and this is unique in Appalachian Controle law, as far as I know, certainly in Burgundy, there are two things they're doing. They've written into the rules, which have never happened before. One is they say, they're saying is that you may not use any herbicides, um, possibly pesticides as well, certainly herbicides. Let's see if I can check that for you um, in the vineyards. Um, and um, it's herbicides. Um, uh, and that's never happened before. And the other is that if you pull out vines to replant, you must leave the ground fallow for a minimum of three years. And people are often not doing that now, though the good guys are saying, we need to keep it for seven years. Um, anyway, so uh, those are two new things. The other feature of it is that if you wish to declare your vineyard as Premier Cru, then your total maximum yield is four hectares a hectare less than if it's just declared as Puy so the rules now are going to be 56 hectares a hectare for Premier Cru and 60 for a straight Puy So all that has taken a lot of um, uh, talking through. Uh, poor old Fred Bourrier has been putting out his hair, but they've got there. And I really think that this is going to happen uh, any time now. So here we have Minetria Issa. It's quite complicated because uh, Frederick Bourrier, he, he makes an Issa. He sometimes makes a Lepral and he has a Minetria. And uh, now he's going to make them, is he going to be able to keep making them separately or is he going to have to have one Premier Cru Minetria? So it's not his wine, it's Madame Ferrier's wine. And um, uh, she, or, or Audrey's wine now, but uh, under the label of Madame Ferrier or Domaine J.A. Ferrier. And uh, Madame Ferrier had the peculiarity of calling her two top wines, one of which is Minetria or Class. And our next two wines is Tête de Cuvée, uh, but this is Minetria is, is, is the star, along with one that uh, uh, they call Tournant de Puy. They're going to have to change the name because it's been christened Premier Cru uh, Les Reyes, so they will have to change that name. So this domain actually dates way back to 1760, um, but uh, the second Madame Ferry died in 2006, and uh, at that moment, just check that that's my cord, it is. Uh, at that moment, that's when Shadow bought it. So, it's gone back to being a little bit fuller in colour. It's probably a pretty similar colour to the um, Chateau des Cars. Uh, but the nose is quite different. There's a greater richness of fruit to this wine. But in addition to that, uh, there is a, a clear reductive character almost a little bit of fennel on the nose there, which we haven't seen in either of the two previous wines. 
Mm. Now, I noticed um, on the chat that someone has got a bottle of um, a different uh, Ferré wine. It's the one called um, Autour de la Roche. And those, that's Arno in, uh, in Brussels. And the Autour de la Roche uh, vineyards are the vineyards that the domain has in the village of Vergisson, whereas the single cuvées, single vineyard cuvées are all from uh, Fuisse. Keep the chat comments coming. So we have a couple more questions and I'll try and look at those two in a second. That reduction uh, is still present um, on the palette. It adds a little bit of crispness to the finish. Um, you've got a, a lovely quality fruit, despite the depth of the fruit. Uh, it's not overly rich and sunny. You've got a little bit of a, a green gauge character, if you like, uh, mixed into it. Mm. David's enjoying his wine. Uh, and yes, John Ferret is indeed part of Shadow. And they don't have any influence on the winemaking because they trust Audrey. Uh, she's, she's very smart. So sure, uh, what she's doing is something that they're happy. The, the, the big bosses in Shadow uh, are happy with, but basically uh, it's, it, it's her choice. And David, yes, Madame Ferret passed away, I think in 2006. Uh, and you said it's got more spice, that's reduction. Uh, I don't know that it's a house style. Um, I certainly expect richer wines from this domain because of their terroirs. And uh, I expect them to be well handled so that they don't go um, uh, unbalanced in any way. But um, this is slightly more reductive uh, than, than I was expecting, but, but not too much so. Uh, I'm not uncomfortable with that. So what I'm expecting from classic Fuisse is um, you've got a richer topsoil on top of the classic limestone and I'm expecting greater weight of fruit always. I'm expecting higher alcohols. I think Fuisse can get to 14, exceptionally a little bit more than 14, and not suffer in the same way that the very top vineyards of the uh, Côte d'Or, your Bata Moranchés and Moranchés also um, could, can, um, can cope with that. In fact, Moranchés, you're expecting it to be 14, uh, Fuisse, uh, I wouldn't want this style of, or wouldn't expect this style of Puy say to be less than 13 and a half. And I'm entirely happy at 14 and wouldn't find 14 and a half a problem. Probably wouldn't want it to, to go beyond that. So two wines from say this and the previous wine from Chateau de Ronte, uh, you'd, be, you'd be hard put, I think, to, to, uh, to get a, a bigger contrast than those two and stay within one appellation, indeed, even within one village of the appellation. You can tell that Fuisse has always been uh, sort of top dog in the area, because when you go to the village, and it is a small village, and it hasn't been added to too much, but it's got just outside the village, a massive church, which reminds me of the sort of church you get in sheep country in the west of England or in East Anglia, uh, when the wool trade was so profitable that they could afford to build really big churches. Uh, and it's a little bit in, in that same style as well. It sits there proudly in the middle of the amphitheatre. Uh, but that is what Fuisse is all about. Great. Okay. Um, Julian, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to um, uh, Mr. Guffins later on. I just went to see him the other day, but I won't answer him just yet. <coughs> um, so, our next wine... Uh, could also be uh, in Fuisse, but in fact it's not. Um, 
it is over the border in um, Puy. So I talked about Verkra, uh, so that could be uh, here in, could be this bit here. You can actually see the word in the middle of that, Beauregard. Uh, there's a little hamlet called Beauregard, which is in fact the Chateau de Beauregard and its outbuildings. Uh, so the vineyard is half on this side and half on that side, Verkra like that. So that. <laughs> Clumsy idiot, I've uh, killed one of my, my glasses. Uh, rats, I should be with just a single glass. Never mind. Um, try not to get cross to myself. I'll pull back the glass to the Latria and move on to the Chateau de Beauregard. Um, can't. Blame, <coughs> blame the fragility of the glass, that's entirely me. But not break any more, because if I do, I shall have to leave you for a minute and go down and get another glass. But, uh, I just brought up two glasses uh, for tasting tonight. So Fred Bourrier, uh, for a time a, a, a master wine candidate, uh, the man who's been in charge and devoted an enormous amount of energy towards the Premier Crew um, project. And I'm sure that uh, he would have made some enemies along the way because no one is ever completely in agreement. But most people admire what he's done enormously on that, uh, on that project. Um, he also has one other particularity um, which uh, I appreciate, which is that when everybody else moved to the uh, pneumatic presses, he did a trial, didn't like the result, and he not only kept, but I think went out and bought more of the old hydraulic Veslan presses. Uh, in fact, they date back, I think, to um, most of them date back. He's got a little battery, he's got four of them, two in the Chateau de Beauregard building and two in his Negociant uh, building. Uh, and they, they date back now to, um, I think the most recent is 1985. So that's 35 years old and it's pretty hard to get fresh parts or indeed have anybody who knows how to repair them. So he's nervous. Uh, they're all working at the moment and they are sturdy beasts, but maybe they won't uh, uh, go on forever. So why does he like the Vesla hydraulic press? Uh, and it's something which I like as well because it does mash up the skins somewhat. And Chardonnay is a big, vigorous, muscular grape. You can cope with that. It's not Pinot Noir. You don't have to do everything with finesse and elegance. And after all, what makes the great red wines is obviously the skin contact. And so if you have these old Verslan presses, they do a little bit mash up the skins, which gets the content of the skins, which includes the antioxidants, for one thing, includes quite a lot of the flavor profile, probably one or two tannins, even in white uh, grapes. All that comes out of the skins, and I think is a real bonus for white wine making. So just a couple of people in Cote d'Or are actually trying to find those hydraulic presses and go back to them. Um, other people are crushing grapes now, which has fallen out of practice before they uh, press them. But uh, for me, I'm pleased to have an element of skin contact. We're not going anywhere like as far as as having the, uh, uh, you know, making an orange wine, we're not talking about that, 
but just an element of, of skins in the mix, really important. So um, the Bourrier has been around in the region since the 15th century and they've owned the Chateau de Beauregard for five generations now. And um, Joseph Bourrier married one of the uh, Germaine uh, Vincent from the Chateau de Fuisse family. So you know, it's, all, it's, all, it's all interlinked. I can't remember exactly how the Ferrets also mix in, but it all comes from this family which originally had the name of uh, Bulon in the first place. So uh, such is the energy of Fred Bourrier that he loves to make as many different single vineyard puifrices as he can. It's up to about a dozen. Might not make all the same ones every year, but probably nine he does make every year. And most of those are gonna be Premier Cru um, vineyards. He also has two other small domains and uh, one equally in puifrice and one in Macon and Saint-Veron. And, uh, and then he has the Negociant business of Joseph Bourrier which includes quite a range of uh, Beaujolais. Uh, if you're listening from the UK, the Wine Society major on the Chateau de Beauregard and the Bourrier wines. So they're made separately in Fleury, the Beaujolais. Now we've got three things going on in the nose here. Again, the color is one of the fuller colors, but we've got the weight and the richness. We've got a little bit of a reductive quality, and we've also got an element of uh, a more muscatty clone. Um, now that's something which is relatively prevalent throughout the Macanay, Guifuise and some of the Macon Village vineyards. And uh, it's becoming more evident with the hotter vintages that we're having nowadays. Um, so I think that the sunshine is bringing out this spicy muscat quality a little bit more than was the case in the past. This is also, I should say, a 2016, which brings its own character. Uh, there was hail and frost, alas, in, uh, in 2016 uh, in the Maconnais. I went to see, um, on uh, the middle of April, I went to see Claire and Fabio at Chateau de Ronte, and it was midwinter because every single leaf had been stripped from their vines um, at the Chateau de Ronte. So there was a horrible hailstorm that particularly hit um, uh, the top of the hill there, also the village of Davaye, um, but uh, it was variable. Um, then they had uh, the frost, they had two hits of frost rather than just one, and then there was a subsequent hailstorm as well. So frankly, it was um, uh, pretty miserable for a lot of the Macronet, but if you survived that and didn't get damaged too much, uh, and I don't think they were too badly damaged down here in Vercra, um, then uh, you, you got away with it and made uh, okay wine. Uh, but this is the only 2016 in the lineup, and that also will explain a little bit more maturity and a little bit of uh, uh, a slightly different character to the bouquet and probably to the taste. I haven't put it in my mouth yet. So the Beauregard holding of Vercra is both sides. There's some here in, on the Fuisse side and there's some on the Puy side but it's the pre-vines are older, as it happens, and uh, at the moment, in this Vercraa cuvee, it's the vineyards on the Puy side. Now, normally, you, be, you, can, you can actually see um, here the, 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 the river uh, running through. So around the river, particularly where it's white, i.e. no vineyards, uh, it's very low-lying land, and it continues the other side of Vercraa, but Vercraa is different. Um, because it's, it's made 
off of a, a unique soil type that uh, you don't see um, anywhere else in Puy-Puyce. Uh, and it's a slightly different era. It's the Miocene era, but um, just enjoying the sunny of mine. But um, there was a freshwater lake, a freshwater lake in, in, in that period. And when it dried out, it's, it's created its own particular soil. It's sort of a reddish conglomerate soil uh, on top of, uh, it's got the chips of normal Jurassic limestone in there as well. But it is a unique terroir. And actually it doesn't quite fall into what they decided were gonna be the uh, reasons for Premier Cru. But because Verkrau has been accepted as one of the top vineyards all the way through, and they made an exception for it. So normally this is rather an elegant and classy uh, startup, if we say, though with weight underneath it. In 2016, and with that, just I'm getting that little touch of, of something richer and riper, uh, uh, it's, it's not quite an absolutely classic Vercra, which the 2017 would have been. It's got bounce and vigor as well. And then it opens out and gives you this very clean and long mineral drive at the finish. So it's got some of the characteristics of the Minetriere, but it's also got, um, which gives it a sweetness of fruit, a yellow fruit. And then there is a sort of a saline acidity at the back. Might be a bit typical of 2016 that, so it's almost not in a negative way, but you've almost got a sweet and sour character going on with this. And if you support my theory that actually good young Chardonnay is a perfect match uh, for oriental food, uh, spicy or oriental food. I know so many people say it's got to be Riesling or Gewürztraminer or some other Alsatian grape, but I find young and powerful Chardonnay works wonderfully with it. And that sweet and sour character I can absolutely imagine alongside. Good. Yeah, that clear away little drawings for that. And we will move on. I'll leave the map up because uh, we're ready to move. Uh, I'll just move through then. So we, we've um, switched away from Fuise and we've jumped across. So obviously Fuise uh, would have been, uh, sorry, Pui should arrive here, but instead we're seeing it over on the other page here. So imagine that that should be sitting on top of the other one. So the commune is actually called Solitre Puy rather than Puy. And you've got the hamlet of Puy down here, um, just at the beginning of the slope. Sorry, my mouse got caught, but that's where Puy is. And then up at the, uh, right up on top of the hill. And if you looked at the um, image, which is on the holding screen to begin with, that was the rock of uh, Solitre. My mouse is saying it doesn't like working on shiny paper. Uh, so here is Solitre with the rock just above. Um, so there are various premier crews, which are Oshayu down here is one. Uh, the premier crews are mostly in this area. Uh, and they're not up, up here uh, on Pomar, that's called, because here the slope is um, the backside of the famous rock of Solitary, but the slope is facing uh, northwards down into the dip uh, where the Saint-Laurent of Davaillet uh, holds sway. So the Premier Crews are mostly in this area, but we're not in fact, we just did Vercra. That's the only one we're gonna do with Solitary Puy. Uh, 
Otherwise, the upper hillside vineyards up here are actually better covered in Vergisson. So our last two wines are both going to come from uh, Vergisson. Um, and Vergisson has also got two, two and a bit main hillsides. So um, first hillside is around here, Les Crais, La Marechaude, Sur La Roche. They're all going to be there, mostly south facing. Uh, they get a little bit of eastern sunshine because the two sides of the hills, the back end of Solitre and Vergisson's own rock, it has a crag very similar to Solitre, they, the two hills come quite close together here at the entry in the valley where the small stream is, uh, but it does allow a little bit of sunlight through uh, from the east and the hills over on the west don't block uh, too much either. So these are the classic sunny slopes. Otherwise, if you go around here, you start to face north again on Châtenay, for example. Uh, and Griffins has got some more Châtenay. And another hillside which I like a lot is en Bulon, which we're going to try. And this north-facing hillside has a much longer growing season. You end up picking the main barrow, which has both vineyards in, in the thick line, the Premier Cru area, and also Ambulant, picks Ambulant maybe two weeks after um, most of the rest. You've also got some quite fun vignettes down here en France, particularly the Clos de France. Uh, Rochevin and Charme have not been retained as Premier Cru, but the Clos de France part of en France has been. Um, yes, so I would uh, also en Caramontrant, Les Crus, La Côte. Uh, these are some good vineyards too, but they, they didn't make it into the Premier Cru category. And indeed, Sur La Roche gets divided into, bang, just there. Below that, you're below um, 400 meters. If I've drawn it in the right place, it could be that looks like contour lines. So I probably haven't quite drawn it in the right place. And your Premier Cru above that may have arbitrarily said 400 meters as the cutoff line, and you're not Premier Cru. So that's caused a little bit of bad feeling. The reason they chose 400 meters is because there are no premier crews in the Cote d'Or above 400 meters. The very highest in Saint-Aubin and Puligny come to about 395. Um, and uh, so they, they took that as a rule, but you are 100 kilometers further south here uh, and that much sunnier and warmer. And so they could, I think, have relaxed that and they could have made all Silaroche premier crew, but they say not. So the first of the two that we're gonna try is uh, Ambulant, so that's down here. Um, let's clear a few of these away. Uh, uh, which, as I say, is made by Domaine Barrault. It was called Domaine Daniel Barrault. It's now uh, his son Julien who's taken over. And I think he's changed the label. It was Daniel and Julien to begin with, and now it's uh, Domaine Julien Barrault. So I don't have the bottles, so I can't, um, uh, can't see them. Um, and uh, uh, he, to me, is also Shepherd Beauregard, uh, Domaine Ferry, um, and Barrow. If I had to name just three, absolutely top. There's a whole host of contenders. Um, uh, Cornin and Chantray, uh, Cordier is pretty good as well. Uh, Chateau de Fuisset, of course. Both Sommets and Sommets Michelin. Uh, my friends, the Merlins, now that they have a whole range of, uh, since 2017, or oh, no, 2018, they have a whole range of single vineyard uh, pre -freezes. Um and, and quite a few others, Robert Denonjon, and uh, uh, particularly exuberant style. 
uh, Eric for uh, for us to uh, we're going to come to, and of course Guffens, Jean Marie Guffens Henen, uh, the Belgian who uh, invaded the region um, a while ago now, that'd be thirty years ago, um, and uh, he does make some spectacular wines under his Guffens Henen uh, label. Uh, not somebody who suffers fools gladly, it must be said. Um, though I get along all right with him. Um, so, uh, Ambulant, uh, so this is uh, the main barrow. They also make, they have En France, they have Vacher. Vacher is on the same slope. En France is uh, the one I mentioned earlier next to Clos de France. Uh, La Roche up on the top and a blend, and then they've got Saint-Vrance as well and Macon's too. The family have been around since the end of the 19th century. But it's really uh, his father, Daniel, who, who put the, uh, the man on the map. Um, hmm. I'm very much enjoying the uh, end of the previous wine. Return that and start the ambulance. I just put my nose into the glass, forgetting I hadn't poured it, and then uh, realized that that bouquet wasn't right for uh, Ambulant, which is a, a nice, um, it's an old vine cuvee as well. I don't know the exact uh, age of the vines. So all oak aged, all oak matured, all of the wines we're having tonight are, are barrel fermented, barrel matured. You will get certain pre-frisés, but probably not single vineyard ones which are a mix of stainless steel and barrels. So this is late to pick, late to mature, uh, probably bottle it a bit later. Um, and also it's probably the last one of their holdings to come around. So typically, um, Daniel said to me that he, he would like this wine to have at least five years and we've only given it three. It's a very controlled, chiseled uh, bouquet. It's a little bit less obviously pre-frise. You're not getting the sudden sunshine in this wine, but you're getting a clear feeling of concentration. The grapes have liked their extra hang time, uh, which, uh, which is a good thing for them. I love the finish there. We've almost gone into some star anise uh, um, licorice, uh, not fennel because fennel implies a little greenness and I don't find that. Um, it's white fruit with that little bit of anise character as well. Uh, it's particularly uh, long on the palate, um, just the right acidity at the back. Um, and that's a wine which, uh, yes, I, I would still put away for a little while longer. Um, to be honest with you, I've found all the wines tonight have shown exactly what I was expecting, the possible exception of Vercra, simply because it was the different vintage character and the 2016 vintage, I think, has added a little bit of its own feel to it. So it wasn't quite the typical Vercra, uh, which I, I know well, because uh, it's uh, probably my favorite wine of the Chateau de Beauregard, and it's, uh, I think it may also be one of the favorites of the, the wine buyer there, the Burgundy buyer. Um, 
I've been asked about aging on some of these wines. Uh, Puy say can age for a really long time. I remember my days at Berry Brothers, I could occasionally uh, raid or at least suggest to Simon Berry that we might drink together one of the old things in the cellar. And we had a, um, a 47 Puy Fuisset on one occasion that was still alive and kicking. Um, and I've had other, other wines. Um, I remember when I first came across the wines of Kenny Juru, which would have been in the mid, uh, or probably even, no, it would have been in the late 1980s or even 1990. Uh, they were just moving on on their wine list. They only had one white, which is a Puy Fuisset. And they were just finishing up the 1959 and about to start on their next vintage, which was 1979. Uh, and <laughs> both were in very good condition. Um, so uh, I think both the last two wines, the Madame Ferre wine and uh, Chateau de Beauregard, are definitely approachable now. Uh, because it's 2016, the Beauregard I would probably drink sooner rather than later, another two or three years. In the 17 vintage or 14, I would be happy to keep it for 15, 20 years. And the Minetria from Ferre, it was, it's rich, but it's really well balanced. So that, I think, is a wine which will stay and will keep. I'm sure the uh, uh, Chateau de Car will keep very well. Uh, and I would think also the Chateau de Ronte. Um, this on Bulan, without question, this can be a 15, 20 year wine. If you want it to be, you don't need it to be, but it can be. Help, I've been enjoying myself so much. Time is running on, we're nearly up the hour. So I'm gonna to move to our last um, wine, which is from, it was the main Michel uh, Forêt. Forêt, Forêt. Then because he had to retire by government law at a particular age, and so briefly it was under his wife's name, Annie Claire, now it's their son, Eric, who's taken on. Um, and uh, uh, their main holdings are uh, sort of in this area. Uh, they live ju just about there. Um, and so they can just walk up out of the house into Les Cray. And Les Cray is probably their flagship wine. Um, they're maniacs in, in, in the vineyards in a good way. Uh, exceptionally um, meticulous. Always have been father, mother, and, and now son. So... But here, in comparison to Bulon, we are a pure um, south-facing vineyard. And I think they're somewhere in the middle and their rows of vines they will be going up and down slope. So they'll have top and bottom of slope together. I'm just going to visit him. I haven't been for a while. The others I've seen more recently. Uh, so it's very much similar colour. I think the Chateau de Ronte was a lighter colour, but all the other wines have been broadly in that um, very pale yellow colour, but, but a bit more colour than the Côte d'Or wine. But... I see the sunshine in the style of fruit. It's a yellow fruit, yellow plums, things like that. But it's not over opulent. It's not, it didn't get too hot in 2017. So you're not going into the peaches, apricots and peaches, which is where I start to worry about what, where global warming is taking us. And like all the wines, it comes together at the finish with a very good acidity. 
And that to me is crucial. Um, it would be too easy to write off if we say it's just being sort of hot and rich and southern. And I hope you agree with me that that's not the case in these wines at all. That uh, though they do have a weight of fruit, they've also got a cleanliness and a purity of finish, which is really very good indeed. But if you've got the, the, the set, then to go backwards and forwards between Ambulant and uh, Les Crais, I think will be absolutely fascinating. Uh, and a lot of good people have Les Crais. So Barrow's got it, um, Domaine Carrette, uh, making interesting wines at the moment, have got it, Domaine des Deux Roches, Eric Forrest, uh, Jean-Jacques Lito, uh, Evan Michel Ray, Sommets Michelin, uh, which probably means the other Sommets too. So uh, a lot of good people. Uh, uh, have got Les Crais. It's probably the, the most classic, well, the two major vineyards of Vosges-Sans would be Sur La Roche, uh, which is more east-facing and exposed to cool winds, so it's not the same as this, and Les Crais. But as you already have gathered, I have a bit of a weakness for Ambulant as well. Right, um, Please start thinking about any, any extra questions. I'll try and have a little look at the chat. But uh, Sophie, are you ready to be called back? I'll stop my sharing. Uh, uh, call back into play, please, Sophie. And uh, maybe give us the, the usual quiz questions. Which Absolutely. Uh, please choose your two favorite wines. That's going to come up in a second. Host and panelists cannot vote. Chateau des Cars, Clos Vermont, it's in the tasting order. Minetria from Ferret, Beauregard, Bourrier, Ambulant, Barreau, and Les Crais from Eric Forrest. Choose your two. Give another few seconds. Um, Sophie, could you prepare very rapidly another little quiz afterwards, uh, which is to say, Puy Frise. Uh, does tonight's tasting uh, is it alongside your expectations? Is it less than your expectations? Or is it more than your expectations? So has Puy Frise gone up in your estimation, stayed the same, or gone down after tonight's tasting? Uh, is that all right to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on it. Great. OK. Well, we will uh, we'll now um, cancel the, the poll, and we'll have the answers. Right. Well, the first two bombed out. Madame Ferré storms home uh, ahead of equally uh, Chateau de Beauregard and Ambulant. Uh, 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 hang on a second. Oh, uh, yes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, uh, I, didn't, I wasn't looking at it properly. So Eric Forrest is second, and then Bourrier and Barrow. Well, there wasn't a wine there that I didn't like, I must admit. Uh, if I had to vote for two, I am going to go with Daniel Barrow as one. I oh, it's too difficult. No, it's too difficult. Uh, I really thought the Ronte was showing well, but um, I, I, it doesn't quite have the classical group we say terroir. Uh, and I'll do. Hey, I'm going to do the other, the other version song one. I'm going to do uh, Eric Forrest as my other. So there we go. Okay. Um, I wasn't tasting at lunchtime as well, Matt. I never do. I make a point of that. I'm going to do a Zoom in the evening. I make sure I don't drink earlier in the day at all at all. Um, uh, someone's asked, there's a reason why there isn't a Kuffman's wine on the list. 
Uh, no, uh, only because there were so many good producers and he, he is very idiosyncratic. One could easily have done it, uh, assuming you could actually find them. Um, aha, yes, Julian, you're drinking a Gutton's wine. He gave that to me blind and of course I didn't get it. But if I'd used my brain, because there were some questions which made it obvious that it wasn't a typical wine of his, I should have been able to uh, uh, pick out those uh, things. And Paul, no, I haven't mentioned uh, Desjournais because he's not classically a Puy-Frise man. Of course, he does now make the whites from various places in the Macronet. Uh, and I, I am amongst those who think that uh, um, sort of maverick, if you like, though he is, he does make uh, uh, terrific wines, and uh, both, both reds and whites, both his Beaujolais and his um, uh, white Macronet wines. Uh, there are probably some others I didn't mention, but I was really concentrating on the people who are sort of within the Puy-Frise appellation uh, uh, full up. Um, just see if there are any more questions and answers. Um, David's also mentioned what about the Brett brothers, and of course they do now have a range. They've added a couple of extra vineyards as well of their own. Uh, so uh, Brett brothers are certainly part of that. Paul, do any other terroirs in the Macanay challenge the best of Puy-Frise? Uh, I've just been learning about Vire Classe, which frankly I'd never much liked before, and spending a day there and talking to the best people, I began to understand it. So Vire Classe has got some claims, uh, but no, I think the best of Puy Puisse for me is probably even head and shoulders uh, above all the rest in terms of there being anything other than a particular vineyard here or a particular vineyard there. But I do uh, remember thinking that, uh, talking to Olivier Merlin, that now he's got several single vineyard uh, prefrices uh, as part of his domain, uh, they're really going to have to work hard to challenge his Macron La Roche Vineurs Les Crats, which is a particular vineyard on a great bit of terroir, which I do love. But the best of prefrices is tops, and I'm quite excited by it. So please vote. One, two, three. Shouldn't take you long. You only allowed one vote, not two, haha, on this. Okay, everybody voted. If you take that down, Sophie, please. And we'll have the answer. Yay. I mean, uh, I suppose I want to do this for, for all tastings, but I was excited by the wines tonight. Um, uh, you know, I did expect them to be very good. Uh, I loved them while, while we tasted our way through them. And, uh, and, and that's a, a vote of confidence from you guys. And, uh, and I hope maybe that um, we can spread a bit more love it's an appellation that is typically done very well in the States and a little bit less well uh, in the UK. But um, it, frankly, it deserves it. And it doesn't really seem to me to be suffering too much from um, the global warming, which is uh, encouraging. Uh, so Matt, you, uh, you asked, how do I accept the wines to change in the future? Well, we don't really know, but I think Chardonnay can cope with extra heat much more than Pinot can. And of course, we know there are great Chardonnays being made in California and Australia and regions which are typically always been hotter than Burgundy. Um, and uh, therefore, I am more hopeful on the whole. Uh, I hope it doesn't get too dry because of course you can't irrigate in French Appalachian Contrôle areas which you can in California and uh, Australia. So we must hope that uh, drought doesn't come into it as well as heat. Uh, so just, uh, and Arast has mentioned that they're not overpriced. Uh, 
No, I mean, I, I would think that the top wines are getting up at full retail, up to sort of 35 or 40 pounds a bottle, and I expect Griffin's is more than that, and I'm sure Jules Desjardins, uh, Fabien Dupere is, is more than that. Um, I don't have to hand uh, the pricing, but uh, Madame Ferrier won't be cheap, but, uh, you know, they're not going off into, into the stratosphere. So I think that you can get some really pretty exciting wines at a very fair price. Great. Um, so I have to remember what we have coming up next. I think next up, uh, and not for a little while, um, maybe it's as late as the 23rd, I think we've got some Eligotes. I know I've also got, uh, we've got Grand Cru from Maurice Saint-Denis. Yeah, that's next Thursday. Oh, next Thursday already. Right, good. Um, I shall nip back to England in between for a game of cricket and uh, a couple of other things, and then, uh, and then back. Um, and then we've got Eligote. Yes, that's the very end of the month. And then we've got a horizontal of 2014 white burgundy and then a horizontal of 2010 red burgundy. So um, we, we, we can't quite do it the way Jane Anson has been able to do it for Bordeaux, just the sort of equivalent of Lafitte, Lateau, and Mouton, and so on. But we're going to have some lovely wines and should be fabulous evenings. So uh, thank you all again for your attendance. Uh, screw tops are indeed a thing of the past, uh, for mostly in Burgundy, not everybody. Um, ben Leroux continues, one or two others, but it's not taken on. Uh, Diane is, is winning that particular battle. Um, and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Enjoy the rest of your wines. I now need to go and get a dustpan and brush and, um, and uh, sweep up the, the broken glass. All the time. Thank you, yeah. Okay, Sophie, thank you so much for, for your help and uh, thank you, everybody. And see you all next time. Thanks.